Okay, we begin today a new course in two parts, entitled The Holy Family, subtitled Biblical Study of the Center of All Relationship. Um, We are going to take this in two parts because the first portion we will do prior to pre-Lent or or the Jesima season and Lent, in which Deacon Joshua Kimbrell is going to do a class on asceticism. And then after Easter, we'll pick up the Holy Family again for the remaining uh, sessions prior to the summer. So we're going to have a Sunday school sandwich with the bread is Holy Family and asceticism is the meat and cheese and pickles and, and salami or whatever. Uh, very thin slices. Mayonnaise, very thin slices, that's right. <laughs> Uh, so today we're going to have just an introduction to what this course is and why we're, why we're doing it, what, what the point is of discussing the Holy Family. I'll, I'll reveal to you now that when I say the Holy Family, the first thing that comes to mind is St. Mary, St. Joseph, and our Lord. Uh, but I slyly also mean the family as holy. And so this is mostly going to be about what is the family And eventually, how does the Holy Family fit into this discussion of the family? When I talk about it being the center of all relationship, well, you'll see here in just a moment, but you have to recognize that you have a choice of whether or not to be involved romantically with someone. You have a choice as to whether or not you have children with your spouse. You have a choice, you have a choice, you have a choice. When you were born, you had no choice. And you were born into a family. There is no option. And so the relationship that is at the center of all humanity is the family. There's no way around it. It doesn't matter if it's a positive experience or a negative experience or whether you're orphaned or or it doesn't matter. You are born into a family. The question is, what does this mean? And so that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> we're going to look to the scriptures to, to inform us about the family. But first, before we begin this entire endeavor, we shall pray. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who has committed to thy holy church the care and nurture of thy people, enlighten with thy wisdom those who teach and those who learn, that rejoicing in the knowledge of thy truth, they may worship thee and serve thee from generation to generation, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, the Holy Family. You see here in the, we'll call it the home page of our presentations, we have three different icons. I'm sure you're familiar at least with two. This is uh, Rublev's Trinity, a very famous icon of the Trinity, and we'll talk about that familial relationship there. This is an image of the first family, Adam and Eve. And this is, a, is an icon of the holy family of St. Mary, St. Joseph, and Jesus our Lord. Uh, I couldn't cram any more pictures into this, so that's all you get. But we begin uh, introducing by asking a question, why talk about the family And really, the answer is because, at least initially, family is at the heart of reality. 
And I don't simply mean it's at the heart of your reality because you have a mother and a father or because you have a child or because you have a spouse or because uh, some element of your family is central in your life. That's not really what I mean. What I mean is a familial relationship is at the center of all being in the universe because familial relationship is an is, is, is a part of the Trinity. We have in the Trinity three persons in one essence. And just in the same way that your family is considered a unity, yet there are different persons within the family, here we look at the Trinity and we find that before anything was created, before there was any world, before there was any earth, before there was any thing that we know, before there was time, before there was space, there was family, there was relationship. Um, When the church speaks about the relationship between the father and the son, there is a word that is used which is begetting, he is begotten, the son is begotten of the father. And we look at that and say, oh I understand. There was a time when I wasn't, and then I was begotten of my parents, and then I was. And the church says, no, 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 no. (laughs) Yes and no, yes and no. When we talk about the Trinity and the relationship between the Father and the Son, there is a begetting there that is an eternal begetting. In other words, the Father had always begotten the Son, and the Son had always been begotten. And it, even for us to speak about it, we have to speak about it in terms of time because there's no other language for it. But the idea is an eternal relationship of father and son. There was never a time when the son was not the son and the father was not the father. It's an eternal thing. And so when we consider our own reality in time, we actually begin to see that our families and our relationships with our parents and our begottenness is like a metaphor for God. In other words, we are the shadow. He is the pattern, the reality. We sometimes have that entirely reversed, where we say, in order for us to understand uh, God, we speak of him as father and son. It's actually the other way around. In order for him to understand, in order for him to give us a way to understand him, he created us in a familial relationship. And now we understand. You may love your parents, you may hate your parents, you may have a wonderful relationship, it may have been broken, it may have been whole, it may have been disorienting, it may have been orienting to you, it doesn't matter. You're woven into a family and a line and a relationship. Uh, as a part of your essence as a human being. So it's at the heart of reality, actually, the family. But it's at the heart of really all creation. I mean, you could look at uh, a tree if you really wanted to and say the tree didn't just appear, but the tree came from the acorn, the acorn came from a tree, that tree came from an acorn, that acorn came from a tree. (laughs) It's kind of... All around us, the idea uh, that 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 there is a relationship between uh, between all things and something that preceded them, but especially we 
must consider the inescapable reality of what it means to be a human being. Uh, we consider the Imagio Dei the image of God. We're created in the image and likeness of God. And this is what I was just getting at to ask the question, do we speak of God as father and son so that they will mirror ourselves? In other words, we, we uh, sitting around campfires and banging rocks together, uh, decided that there had to be a God and we needed to find a way to understand God. And so we thought of him as father and son because that's what we, that's what we know. Or is it the other way around? Did God create us as we are, so that we will know and understand him. So that built into all of our inescapable experience in this world is the mark of God on us. You can't get away from it. Even a broken relationship is something that is hinting towards God. The fact that it's breaking your heart leads you to recognize that there is a wholeness somewhere. Why would you be broken if there wasn't a wholeness? Where is the wholeness? Where is the, the icon of wholeness? Where is the, the type? Where is the, the archetype of wholeness and perfection? Because I didn't find it at my house. But there was a hint about it in your house by the fact that it was broken and it hurt you. It's all there. I mean, it's, uh, it's inescapable. And what the church is saying, essentially, and you, I mean, you've already got it uh, from what I'm trying to insinuate, is that God creates us as we are so that in our imaging him in our lives, even in our wandering from him, his stamp is all over us. And the, the let's say, the straight and narrow path to the Lord is, is intrinsic in all of our experience. If we're watching closely enough, if we're listening closely enough, it's right there, even in broken relationship. Focus on the family. I found myself saying that as I was trying to create this today. Focus on the family is, uh, what is it, Charles uh, Dobson, right? James Dobson's uh, ministry started a bunch of years ago. But we're considering, again, why talk about the family? You've got this biblical and theological and sort of essential conversation about why the family. But there's another reason to talk about the family. Because family is at the heart of reality. And why do it now in, in 2022? First time I got to say that. Why talk about family in 2022? Because basic assumptions about the family are now being challenged. And you could say they have been, have been being challenged for years before, but boy, is the hard uh, full court press on now, raising questions about the family and questions like this. What is a marriage? What is a husband, really, or a wife? Why must there just be two? What is a family? A father, a mother, a daughter, a son, are these things, and this is a good question, and kids that are in public school are, are hearing this word a lot, or <laughs> if you're watching the news, are these things constructs? Can we make the family 
and each of the roles of the family into whatever we want it to be as long as we change the construct? Can we construct it a different way? Is it something that we made up that we can now change because we realize we made it up? Or do these roles have an essence in themselves that is not constructed but discovered or even revealed? Okay? Uh, Scriptures... Jesus gives a couple of short parables about what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure in a field and then goes and sells everything he has to buy that field so that he can have that treasure. Uh, It doesn't say that a man goes out into a field and finds something that he decides is a treasure or that he invents in his mind to be a treasure. No, it's a treasure in itself. It's a reality around which he is revolving. The reality isn't revolving around him. He's revolving around the, around the reality. That's why he goes out and does everything he can to get a hold of it because it's something good, real, true, beautiful, valuable in itself. That's a, that's a different... Uh, these are two different philosophies that are warring with each other and have been warring for 700 years, 600 years. Uh, you remember perhaps in our last study, or the study before the last study on the Benedict Option, there was a portion about William of Ockham and a philosophy that he, that he uh, began, I guess, in the 14th century called nominalism. And I told you how many times I had to hear the philosophy of nominalism explained to me before I finally got it. And I said, don't feel bad if you don't understand. Well, here's round two of nominalism, okay? So if you didn't get it the first time, This is it. So I say, remember, this is where it's really sort of uh, spelling out uh, in a million different ways, but for our purposes today in the discussion of family. So I'm just looking for the, the textbook definition of nominalism, and you'll hear it. The doctrine that universals or general ideas are mere names without any corresponding reality, and that only particular objects exist. Okay? What this means is the relationship that you have with your father or your mother or your wife or your children or your brother or your sister does not have a reality within itself except what you assign to it. Okay? You name it something. Nominalism is a name. And that may sound perplexing to you, but it'll sound real relevant here in just a second because... (laughs) We're, we're going to compare and contrast nominalism with realism. The doctrine that universals or abstract concepts have an objective or absolute existence. You don't get to decide what it means to be a father because a father is a real thing contrasted with other things which are not fatherhood. Fatherhood is a, a specific thing. And motherhood is a specific thing. And to be a son and to be a daughter and to be an uncle, to be, to be uh, um, and then when you get more down in the weeds, to be a good father is a thing. You ever hear that say? It's not a thing. It's a thing. What people mean by that is there's something essential about its reality that you can't just give a different name to and have it turn into something else. Nominalism says, and... William of Ockham did not mean to start this. (laughs) He meant to protect the sovereignty of God, and that's a whole other discussion. 
But once this, the culture and society had accepted nominalism and then decided they don't believe in God, put themselves into the position of God, and now we're back into Genesis 1 and 2 of creation, and we are the ones that give the names to things now. We are the ones that decide this is this and this is that, and everything's changeable, and I'll, I'll make it however I want to make it. Starting to perhaps sound more like headlines, doesn't it? Uh, and the, the perplexity and confusion with which people now encounter the world and are not sure what they're supposed to say anymore, are not sure if they're allowed to say something anymore, is really evidence of the, the real flowering of nominalism. You might say something that will contradict what someone else has said, and you've named father something that they've named something else, and you're using the same word. And people will explode in anger because they've defined their own reality by this new way of naming things, and you're still working on 1.0, and they're on 2.0, <laughs> and they've told you you're behind. That's the question. Are you behind or are you living in reality? <laughs> so, in the ancient world, we're talking about realism. Okay, Plato is talking about realism. And William of Ockham is talking about nominalism. And those are two philosophies that are smashing into each other. Um, and they're smashing into each other, I would say, in a key way, surrounding the notions about the family. So here's a person looking into the mirror. Once again, why think about the family? Isn't, just a, isn't it just obvious or a given? Or don't we just drift whichever way the culture is drifting? Hang on. Why think about the family? Because in the Christian faith, the family is an icon with deep theological me meaning. It's a living, moving, walking icon of much, much deeper realities. You can't just change them. And you also may be missing something about the deep meaning of your own family. And so it's worthwhile... To, to think about this because the third point here we need reminders of the value and the meaning of what's right in front of us in terms of brother, sister, son, daughter mother, father, uncle aunt, uh, even relationships that are broken or that are no more you still ought to be reminded of the, of the deep meaning of those relationships because there's a reality there. You can tell I'm not a nominalist and we're trying to move away from that. And because, the second point here, the family is meant to orient you in the world. And even broken families are orienting. Because of the word broken, you've already implied whole. Whole exists. Well, I come from a broken family, so I never learned anything about family. Yes, you did. The broken nature of your family taught you that somewhere there must be wholeness. Otherwise, the whole world is just a, a, a total meaningless abyss of disaster. And even disaster suggests that there's wholeness. You can't even say it's a disaster. You can't even say you're hurt. You can't even say you're broken if you don't believe in, in reality. That there's, that there's a real somewhere in the family. So even, even disorientation 
is orienting in a way. The fact that I'm lost shows uh, that someone somewhere is found. And if I could move from being lost to being found, it would be better. I can't just name my lostness found and name other people's foundness lost and have that suffice. It doesn't work. Or you'd have to go, I mean, you'd have to do a serious amount of drugs in order to make your mind go the other way around. And people do it, right? I've got to make my mind say that everything that's broken in my life is actually whole. And in order to do that, I'm going to hit myself in the face with a ball-peen hammer over and over and over again. The violence that you have to do to yourself to make that happen is a red flag, okay? Red flag, red flag. (laughs) The violence that the culture is doing to itself now in order to make these things real or in order to forget about reality is a red flag, okay? The buzzards and flies are gathering, and that's a sign. Um, Look out. Now, why think about the holy family? Well, first of all, we just got through Christmastide, and we're just, getting, we're just in the midst of just beginning Epiphany. And these are uh, feasts of the family, really. Uh, unto you a son is given. Bam. How do you get away from that? That's the family. Epiphany. Christ revealed to the Gentiles. The wise men appear at the familial site of the holy family. And they genuflect. And they present gold for a king. And they present incense for God. And they present myrrh for a suffering servant. Something holy and sacred is happening in this holy family. Uh, Christmas and Epiphany. Feasts of the family. And so, you know, if that wasn't enough, in that holy family, we see here is the second person of the Trinity. Here is Christ in the midst of our own family experience. He begins this incarnation in a relationship you can relate to. Mama. (laughs) That's it. He is at his mama's side. And I, you know, even those that were born and immediately given up for, for adoption, still, you were born of a mother into this world. You still can relate. Even if you're heartbroken, you're heartbroken because it would have been better if you could have been in your mama's arms. And that would have been good. And this is a good. This is the holy family, an icon. We must encourage others, or each other, to recognize that the family is holy, not only the holy family. And so we don't simply look at the icon of St. Mary, St. Joseph, and, and our Lord and say, wouldn't that have been nice, you know? Well, at least there's one holy family. No, 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 no. It's not at least there's one holy family at some point. Your family has a holiness about it. Your home relationships and whatever they are has a holiness about it um, that's important to recognize. And even the aching, longing for more family or holiness is holy in itself and worshipful. And so this, these are the kind of things we're going to talk about in this course. And I wanted to give you a sense of where we're going with this. And then we'll have some time to discuss uh, in just a moment. 
So, well, first of all, I should ask any, any thoughts or, or questions or comments before we get to where we're going? This is just sort of an introductory um, portion here today. Hearing none, we continue. So introduction, that's today, and, and you're on it already. January 16th, next Sunday, we're going to talk about the first family, okay? And there was something good, right, meat, and right, so to do, and all those things about Adam and Eve in the garden, but it didn't take long <laughs> before something in that relationship went sideways. What is the nature of that going sideways? Or what is the nature of the, the original ideal and then the going sideways? Now, this is a, a, a discussion that's, that's important because, as some say, it was, it's like an archetype for all good relationships gone sideways. The children, the first two children were introduced to in, in the Old Testament, Cain and Abel. And right there, whatever uh, problem developed in Adam and Eve has clearly gotten worse by the time Cain and Abel come along, but what has gone on between these two siblings? And uh, I didn't have enough room for the word... Oh, I did. Uh, Seth comes along after that uh, as really an, a kind of a, a placeholder for Abel. And uh, the descendant of Cain, Lamech, and we start to see that when there's brokenness, the brokenness gets bigger and gets worse <laughs> as this these dysfunctional family relationships start to spread as sin really spreads out into the world. We'll talk about the first family. Uh, the next week we'll talk about the patriarchs and their families, which if you're thinking, well, they're patriarchs, their families must have been ideal. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, not exactly. We're going to do Abraham and Sarah and uh, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel and Leah um, and we'll talk about the nature of those familiar relationships, keeping in mind uh, what perhaps ought to have happened, and secondly, what God did with what did happen, and how God's able to work in the midst of even wrongness and brokenness. But that familiar relationship is central to the way in which God is working in the world. Then we'll do uh, we'll look at the kings and their families. Also, not ideal, but nevertheless, Saul, David, and Solomon, their husband and wife and children uh, relationships there will be examined. Before long, you'll be tired of hearing about this broken Old Testament uh, model. Uh, then we'll have a, uh, an interlude, intermission for Lent, uh, Deacon Joshua is going to teach about asceticism for pre-Lent and for Lent. And then uh, starting after Easter, we'll look at the Song of Songs. Uh, and really what that means is we're, we're heading to the good stuff. So <laughs> romance, but really the romance of Christ and the church. Most of the church fathers have read Song of Songs as a romance between Christ and his church. And sure, it's multifaceted, and there's something about the, the relationship between uh, lovers and the relationship between a husband and his, and his wife, or between a bridegroom 
and his betrothed. But what is that really? What is that, f- that fantastic ro- uh, romantic relationship? Why do we have that thing? Why is that the highest Hollywood can, can reach? Why is that the ceiling that this world hits at the hi- as the highest ideal? Why do we have to stop there? Why can't we say that beyond this is actually, this, this is our particular experience of something that is theological above that. It's a hint of what's to come. It's a hint of a, of a deeper reality. That's basically the interpretation of Song of Songs uh, that the Church Fathers use. And we'll, we'll talk about that in April. Following that, we'll talk about Christian matrimony. And you uh, was in a session just the other day pointing out that the word matrimony has the word mother in it, okay? Suggesting that in matrimony, there will be offspring. It will be a fruitful relationship. Uh, but Christian matrimony, perhaps as opposed to an Old Testament marriage or, or even an Adam and Eve kind of situation, now we've got Christ and the church. Then we'll talk about the Holy Family. Uh, we'll talk about the roles of fathers, mothers, and children, uh, especially St. Mary as Theotokos, but really uh, as the God-bearer, but really as a uh, discussion of our own familial experiences. And we'll, we'll finish with the household codes and a conclusion. The household codes if you're not uh, familiar, are portions of St. Paul's epistles where he gives instructions to the families, right? Fathers, da-da-da-da-da. Mothers or, or wives, da-da-da-da-da. Children, obey your parents. Uh, these household codes are repeated and morphed a little bit in some of the epistles. We'll look at some of the household codes and why does St. Paul talk about this? And is this just to keep the peace or is this something way larger, theological, and uh, a, a, a real window into a deeper reality about the family and really the holy family and really about God? So there's our holy family course that's going to take place next week. As you see, we'll be, uh, whoopsie, not Song of Songs. Next week, we'll be talking about. The first family, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and we'll get into that whole mess next week. But I wonder if you have any comments or or thoughts or questions about where this is going, our discussion of the Holy Family. I'm all out of uh, things to say, so you better think of some questions quick. We're about to get out early. Well, hearing none... Uh, Going once, going twice. I move that our meeting adjourn. All in favor, say aye. Aye. All opposed? Opposed like sign? Negative? All right. Uh, Then, yes, thank you. Please be back next week for round two of The Holy Family. God bless you.